0: So there is no growth investing, there is no value investing, there's investing. Figure out what something's worth, and what something's worth has to do with how much earnings are going to grow over time. So there's no dichotomy there. Uh, There's no reason to struggle with which way should I go. Welcome to Wisdom,
1: Wealth, and Wellness, a podcast on overcoming behavioral biases and blind spots, sponsored by Satovsky Asset Management, and this is Jonathan Satovsky. I have a guest that has been, uh, probably doesn't know it, but he's been a mentor to me. He's been uh, just a wise, soul, brilliant investor, just high EQ, high IQ, and uh, just packed with just worldly wealth of wisdom. And I'm grateful to have him. Uh, Welcome, Joel Greenblatt. A little background on Joel. Um, He... Uh, started his fame, I think uh, investing a small sum of money, about seven million dollars, turning it into a billion six, if I recall, in a short 10 year span uh, and has been a professor in Not Columbia quite. University. But that
0: sounds better so you that's know, pretty agree. good
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Columbia value investing uh, professor and uh, has written many books. Uh, you could be a stock market genius. Uh, the little book that beats the market, the big secret for small investors, um, common sense, you know, uh, uh, and he's just very philanthropic, very giving with his time and his wisdom. And, oh, I'm just so excited to spend time to, to, uh, to expand on, uh, some of the, some of the lessons that I've learned over the years. Thanks for, uh, thanks for spending a little time with me, Joel. Sure, John. Good to see you. So I, I'd start with, um, uh, you had written um this great book, um you could be a Sto- how to be a stock market Genius. great title, of course, and it was a lot about idiosyncratic ideas and uh really fascinating and then you evolved to the little book that beats the market with this simple formula, you know, buying cheap, profitable companies. So the question is, why does it work <laughs> and why don 't more people do it since it 's so easy, so logical and easy. Are you talking about
0: the second book? Why does it work? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's a good question. I think the biggest reason is is that the only way you can buy something cheap is that uh, people don't like it, okay, for some reason. And so that's hard to do. And uh, usually uh, there's a a lot of ways to make money being a contrarian. Uh, I think the, the method in the little book that I sort of half-jokingly called the magic formula, uh, you know, buy good business cheap. Uh, Really what I think people are thinking is that it's earning a lot of money now, but next year or two won't be quite as good. And that's why you're getting this bargain. And when people are trying to make money in the short term, uh, their happy hunting ground is not. Companies that are not expected to do quite as well in the next year or two. And they systematically avoid those companies. And but, if they're still good businesses earning high returns on capital uh these are usually short term problems uh and you can take advantage of those and The important thing about that kind of investing is that it's very hard to cherry pick which companies you know are not going to continue to do badly or whatever, but on average, it is a very good bet to say that on average um <coughs> buying these uh, high return on capital businesses cheap uh relative to their cash flows uh on average works it's like an insurance bet you don't want to take one of them you but you pretty much know how your average is going to come out so you want to do thousands or you know tens at least in the in the stock market and you want to get the a- average is good cheap and good average returns are very good
1: But you gave it away. It's kind of interesting because you originally gave away the formula on a website. Said, here, here's the formula. Go do it. Do it yourself. Go. Good luck. Have a good time. And I know myself, I started using it because I thought it was like really clever and wonderful. And then, you know, you wrote about this, that basically people couldn't stick to it. People had a very difficult time adhering to the persistency of the process over time. Why why do you think that is? what's, what's, What's the human flaw?
0: Oh, because we, uh, it's a good question, but I mean, we live day to day. You know, we, we look at the paper every day or we look at our computer screen nowadays. I'm aging myself, but, uh, and, and see the prices and, uh, even in periods where the formula did incredibly well, 10 year periods where the formula did very well, there were several, you know, three year plus periods where it did poorly yet. It did really well for the 10 years and people's time horizons are, uh, I think Jeremy Grantham put it best. It says, my very best investors, their time frame is 3.00000 years. So uh, that's considered long term in the stock market, but in real life it's it's not at all. And uh, it, it sometimes it takes a lot more patience than that. And and I understand that. It's it's much easier for individuals to withstand because they don't have clients who call up every day and say, Hey, what's going on? I uh, you know, I underperformed the market last year or I lost money or lost more than the market or whatever it might be. That's very hard to do. And I totally empathize with that. It's just the way it is. But if everyone could do it, as John was suggesting, you read the book, you follow the thing, and it was easy to do, then of course it would stop working. So that's the only saving grace that it's really hard to do. In real life, it's really hard to do. Almost no institutional managers can do it. They, they're, they're, Uh, you know, I was on a lot of big pensions. And, you know, think of uh, uh, not pensions, uh, endowments, endowments are perpetuities, meaning no one's dying. You know, it's it's there forever. Yeah. And so they should have the longest investment time horizon of anyone, even more than a person. But there is a person who allocates to U.S. equities or bonds or uh, private equity or whatever. And there they have a benchmark and it's seldom more than three years. So, uh, there's an agency problem there, and even the biggest places that should have the longest time horizon don't. And so, who has the biggest advantage? Individual investors. But as you pointed out, the individual investors, even
1: given it, <coughs> here you go, do it for free. You can't do it. So the the lesson that I took away, and it's really had a profound impact on my perspective and my my lessons, is trying to remind people: look, if you're not going to buy something with the Buffett idea, like ignore it for 10 years, don't bother. Like, don't even bother getting involved because, you know, whether you use the formula or even using Berkshire as an example, or I think you gave the example of uh, CGM focused during the 2000 to 2009 period, 40% of the time, it would under, most, even the best performing investments or investors are going to underperform by magnitudes of 20 to 60%. And it's not that it's not going to happen. It's you need to have that emotional fortitude to know that that's going to happen and to be able to persevere through those periods of pain, in order to you know benefit by the riches over that ten-year period, and that's that's, I gosh, I wish I wish I can like remind people of that thought daily, every single day, because it's been it's been tremendous. So,
0: well, CG the CGM example you brought up is the single best example I can think of. You know, the market yeah. was flat for that ten-year uh, period, yeah, uh, but that fund was up eighteen percent a year. Uh, But the average investor in that fund lost 11% a year on a dollar-weighted basis by moving in and out all at the wrong time. In other words, to beat the market by 18% per year, which is incredible. Uh, You have to do something different than the market. Your returns are going to zig and zag differently. And people were actually able to pile in every time it did well. They piled in their money. And every time it did poorly relative to the market, they piled out. And they managed to turn that 18% annualized gain when the market was flat to an 11% dollar-weighted loss per investor. So that is like the single best analysis. People uh, follow returns and they put money into funds or put money into the market after it's done well. And I'm not making fun either. It's really, really hard to do. But if you don't understand that point that that's the way it works, you have no chance. So at least telling people that this is what's going to happen gives you, a chance to do it. And you have to know yourself. And there are very few people who can withstand the pressure of way underperforming for a period of time. There just are very few. And if you think you're you can be one of them, you have a chance. But as you know, most people aren't going to beat the market unless or, or do as well as the market unless they understand what they're doing and they understand the perspective that they need to have to continue to invest. So that,
1: that uh, I think that's um, anyone that wants more details on that. The the big secret for small investors is about this topic. I think if I recall, as he said, well, it's the big secret
0: big... is patience. <laughs> yeah. Yeah,
1: you have to read the book. That's all you need to know. Just patience. Just skip, skip the reading. So uh, yeah, I, I think just piling on that, I think Vanguard shows that even people that buy the S and P 500 don't do as well as the S and P 500 because they can't even behave in that way. But anyway, so what behavioral biases would you do you use for yourself or family or friends or people you love or do you think that people are just wired with that disposition or not is is there things that someone could do uh you know like strap people to posts like ulysses like what can what can what do you do or what habits have you done take a walk with the dog when you're frustrated or you know like what what kind of things would you recommend for the people that you love to to protect them from themselves
0: Yeah usually when things go bad I hide under my desk <laughs> That's not, no, I, I would just say I'm human and I've made, I guess what's good is if you have a plan and you know, a process and, you know, to invest in stocks, you really have to know how to value businesses. You don't yeah. have to be right all the time, but you have to know how to value businesses because that's what stocks are. They're ownership shares of businesses. Yeah. So unless you're going to do a portfolio like, uh, you know, diversified portfolio, maybe have a systematic process like I outlined or put into an index fund or something of that nature. Uh, you have no business investing uh, in individual stocks because unless you know how to value businesses. So that's one of my skill sets that I learned. I went to school a long time. I studied it. I enjoy it. Yeah. And I'm decent at it. I wouldn't say I'm great, but I'm decent at it. And I'm very disciplined. So... And I know I'm going to be wrong sometimes, but I leave a large margin of safety between what I think something's worth and what I pay for it. And even when I'm wrong, maybe I don't lose much or maybe I don't lose anything. Maybe I make a little, but not as much as I hoped. Uh, And so you have all those concepts in mind when you're picking stocks. And over time, I think we're pretty good at it. And the more I know something, the less upset I get when things go against me. Because when you think about it, unless you bottom tick a stock, or fond even, or the stock market, unless you get the exact bottom, it's down after you bought it every time. It's almost yeah. like you never bottom tick. So every time you buy something, it's down from where you bought it. That's yeah. just the way it is, and you have to understand that, and you have to be ready for that and understand that's the way it works. And if you really like something, I i mean, you, you learn certain things, but one of the things that I learned is, you know, uh, when I buy something and it goes down and I get excited because now I can buy more at a lower price, then I know I really uh, have faith in what I'm buying, uh, you know, what I, my analysis. And that's really been my best investments when I bought it and it goes down and I'm just thrilled because now they're selling it to me at a cheaper price and I can, and I still like it just the same. So uh, the more, you know, the less hard it is to stick with it. The less, you know, the more you're at the mercy of just, emotion. And I, I guess that's really the the secret. But no one avoids the emotions of investing. It's very volatile. And it's uh, a lot of it's uncontrollable. Uh, you know, you can call the stock market a complex adaptive system, meaning, you know, it eventually gets a right, but it's a really noisy ride. And you just have to be ready for that. And it's hard to do.
1: You, you had, uh, I remember you were talking about people getting lucky, you know, like not following a process, you know, like it's like someone running through a dynamite factory with a lit match, you know, I like that. That was, that was pretty funny. Yeah, so I'm so curious. They,
0: you may live, but you're still an idiot.
1: <laughs> so it's like, oh, I'm a genius. Look, I made a lot of money in the stock market. They don't know why, you know? So I'm curious about your process, you know, cause obviously a lot of your work is quant- quantitative. How much do you take some qualitative, I know you, you it's maybe not emotional, but how much qualitative or feel to your point that you, you know, you were given the example when something drops that you're, you feel good about adding to it. It's like there is something qualitative there because you're not, in that example, you're not purely using quantitative metrics unemotionally, right? You're, you're oh, thinking no. I, about I, the I, business I, on a more, on a more, um, you know, more sure. thoughtful level. Yeah.
0: Yeah. If I'm doing concentrated investing and really picking individual stocks then I un- I have an opinion of where the business is going to be and I'm not looking at what they just earned last year. I'm looking at what I think normalized earnings are a few years out. yeah so I'm either right or wrong on that. so it's not a question and as Buffett would say uh, price and value are uh, uh, sorry growth and value are tied at the hip meaning part of valuation is growth. Meaning, how much our earnings are earnings going to grow? That that factors into how you value something. So there is no growth investing. There is no value investing. There's investing. Figure out what something's worth, and what something's worth has to do with how much earnings are going to grow over time. So there's no dichotomy there. Uh, there's no reason to struggle with which way should I go. Or yeah. they're the same thing. They're the same thing. Growth is part of value. I would say that. Uh, very early on, thank God, I read not just Benjamin Graham, which was figure out what it's worth, pay a lot less, leave a large margin of safety. But his best student, a guy named Warren Buffett, said, if I can buy goodness, good business, cheap, even better. Yeah. And a good business is your friend. The wind's at your back. So let's say you, uh, you think something's worth $10 and you can pay uh, $5 for it. Sounds cheap. But if the business isn't great and that $10 is at risk, maybe it goes down to eight or seven or whatever it might be, is that as good a margin of safety as something you think is worth $10 now and you're paying seven for it, but you believe that $10 is going to grow over time? You know, which one has the larger margin of safety? I could argue the second one actually has a larger margin of safety, even though the current discount uh, isn't isn't quite as big. If you're in a business that reinvests this money at very good rates or- just can grow its business because it's in a great field and it doesn't need a lot of capital. It's asset light. I mean, there's a lot of scenarios in which that could work much better and you have to know what you're looking at. And I think um, just knowing as, as Buffett would say, your circle of competence, if you know how to do that kind of stuff, great. If you know what kind of business you can evaluate, which ones you can't great. If you know, look, I should be an index investor because I'm very emotional and I can't under, I mean, one thing you get from index investing is that you don't underperform. And so it's not just losing money, right? Uh, if you're an active manager, there's two ways you get shaken out. You lose money because the market goes down and you get, went down too, or you underperform. Market went up, you went up less. With an index fund, yes, the market goes up and down and, and you do stupid things, but you do less stupid things because you don't underperform. So uh, you have less mistakes to make. And if you know yourself and you know that that's better for you, uh you don't have anyone advising you that can you trust uh that does good work then you know maybe that's the best for you there's no one size fits all and there's no one size fits the entire portfolio uh there's sections of the portfolio that are good for different parts
1: how, how has your process evolved over time i mean you've been at this a long time and you know as you started you were doing really cool idiosyncratic spin-offs and a lot of other things and um, have things changed sort of like how Buffett and Munger have had to change because of either time and what's happening in the world or because of the size of the, of the money that they were stewarding? You know, how have you had to evolve the way that you've thought about things or adapt some of your processes because of that?
0: Well, I actually, I taught at Columbia for 23 years and I actually got to take one of my classes to visit with Buffett and uh, he handed me his fat wallet Uh, and, uh, you know, he has a saying, a fat wallet is the enemy of, uh, high investment returns. And when Buffett first got started, he was doing special situation investing and that was probably his highest returns of all time. And then when he had the problem, having tens of billions of dollars, very hard to invest in special situations, there's uh, not as many and, and you can't really allocate that kind of capital to that area and find little nooks and crannies that are uh, opportunities. And the good news, I told my students all these years is, well, you know what happens to people who are good at that? They get too much money and they have to do something else. And now it leaves a window for younger people to make their fortune that way. Uh, Fortunately or unfortunately, I never had the type of money or problems, let's call the problems (laughs) that uh, Buffett has of the too fat a wallet to invest in special situations. It was more that I did something for 25 years. It was very interesting. I would teach anyone to do that. I would suggest people, if they're interested in it, to do that. Uh, I think it's a great way to invest. Still is a great way to invest. Still a great way to get started. Still a great way to finish. And I could be still doing that because my wallet is not fat enough to keep me from doing that. But uh, I like the basic principles of investing and and a way to apply those principles as in a more diversified portfolios. We do long only. We do long short. And we apply those same principles that way on a very systematic basis and th- they're both full-time jobs. So the reason I switched was just because I couldn't do both and I had already done one for a long period of time, enjoyed that. And I wanted to try something else and, and enjoyed that and took me on a little journey. Both of them did. And uh, I still do a, a little bit of both and uh, it's kind of fun, but uh, the, the diversified long, short investing is really a full-time job. And so I'm, I'm doing mostly that. And, uh, some of my students or my kids that I've taught, uh, you know, keep my, my finger in the, in the game of special situation investing. And, and so I enjoy that. And I enjoy the talking
1: Do you, do you know, the long, short, uh, idea is actually, uh, you know, we're, we're, I don't know when this podcast will air. We're generally delayed, but we're now in June of 2023 doing this podcast. And the, uh, the philosophy, uh, of the long, short, uh, strategies have been to be long, cheap and profitable companies and short, unprofitable companies, you know, expensive and unprofitable companies, which is beyond logical and, and reasonable. And, and particularly, I don't know if it, there's periods of time where that they're more extreme stretches of, of those situations, but it seems like the last couple of years, you know, should be setting up really nicely for that ideology. Do you feel like it's more pronounced at this moment in time than it's been in a while? where that you get more excited, wow, the extremes are stretching, you know, better sure. for me, you know?
0: Sure. Well, in the little book uh, that you mentioned earlier, uh, and we still have 30-year study, you know, updated till today where it shows that if you just buy good and cheap um, and you divide it into deciles over a 30-year period, uh, decile one, the best combination of good and cheap beats two, beats three, beats four, and the tenth, meaning expensive or losing money and... and uh, and not good, you know, not earning money, uh, is the worst. However, if you literally put a dollar into the top decile and shorted the bottom decile uh, during those 30 years and you just did a dollar for dollar, you would have gone broke two or three times because over time, it's true, it works. But in the short term, you know, if you went a dollar long and a dollar short, uh, your longs may be, let's say, a 0.5 beta, your shorts may be a 5 beta, and you really tend to one short. And so there's, there's, you know, 30 things you really have to balance and you want to, you might be totally skewed into different industry groups. There's a whole bunch of reasons why there's a real art to balancing those portfolios. And you cannot go long, short and buy the, and short the extremes. You would never do that, or you wouldn't do it for long because zero doesn't compound after, right? If you lose all your money, you can't, you know, compound off that. So yeah. you never do that. It's a great example to show that if you're very patient on both sides or one's a bad strategy long term and one's a good strategy, but as a long short strategy, it's totally different. You have to balance them along the way or you'll never make it through. So it's great as an illustration, not great as a strategy. And uh, the long short strategy, uh, I would put in the category of do not try this at home. (laughs) Uh, And, uh, you you know, just as you have to live through. Uh, good and bad periods just being long only in long short world is the same. And in answer to your question, yeah, it's a great time. Uh, the opportunity set is really great uh, for long short investing the way that we do it because uh, the valuations are uh, very skewed right now. doesn't mean it'll happen in the next six months, but over the next two, three years, it's almost a certainty uh, that this will correct. Once again, don't try long-short investing doing it, but I would just say it informs the way, you know, where the opportunity sets are, at least on the long side. Yeah. And also should set your expectations for each group at this point. One is very, very expensive. One is very, very cheap. Uh, and I'm most excited about the long-only version of the very cheapest stars, really skewed. I'll give you one small example. Um, We ran outside money from 1985 to uh, the end of 94, 10 years, and returned all the outside money after that. Continued to run our own portfolio. And uh, in 98, so it's 13 years after we started, we had our first loss year. Uh, You know, just running a a concentrated portfolio at that time. But the market was up 28% in 1998 or 27. I don't remember. We were down five. I remember that. Very tough year uh, for value investors,
1: yeah.
0: Yeah, very hard to do that. And then in 99... Uh, Mark was up another 21%. We were down five again. In 2000, the market finally fell, it was down about 10%. We were up 115%. It wasn't It wasn't because we were idiots in 1998 and 99 and all of a sudden geniuses in 2000. It's just that we followed a process and we finally got paid. But that's an ugly journey and uh, very hard to do. And you know, but a great example, just thinking about those numbers, how skewed the market can get. And, you know, if you really do your homework and, and at least stick to what you know and have a process. Uh, I, I don't think we're anywhere skewed like that now, by the way. That's that's not going to happen. That That is hopefully a once in a lifetime uh, skew. Uh, but, you know, things rhyme. And right now we're not nearly as extreme, but we are. Uh, towards the, the ends. And and so I, I, I agree with you. I, I think this should be a very good opportunity.
1: It's kind of funny because I, I remember that period vividly and I remember John marie saying that he would come home every day and his wife would say, you know, he would feel like an idiot, you know, in the late 90s. But he was, you know, he was, he was, you know.
0: I do that every day, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: yeah, interesting. So, um, question around the idiosyncratic stuff that you've been involved in you know when you wrote that original book i know um uh i i, re- I vaguely recall you telling me that at one point in time like one of your best investments that you ever made was investing in with a, in, in backing one of your friends that got into the investment business rich Pazina and pazina investment management that might have been one of your best investments I, I, how did you how did that come about and you know what what compelled you to make a decision to invest in another asset manager? It's kind of interesting, maybe may an interesting oh, story for somehow maybe. I don't
0: know, how interesting. But I went to school with Rich at Wharton, and uh, we actually did a research pro- project together, uh, testing, and it ended up getting written up in the Journal of Portfolio Management. But it was testing Ben Graham's stock picking formula, <clears throat> and back then, you know, computers took up you know football field. <laughs> and uh, databases consisted of us taking a pencil and standard force stock guides and writing down the information that we wanted to put into the computer. Yeah. Uh, so this was a big, long project, and turned out, you know, what Ben Graham had done 40 years earlier still worked, and it worked incredibly well, uh, and we worked on that together, and I knew Rich uh, from schools, the smartest guy I knew at school. And so mm-hmm. uh kept up with him. He was running Sanford Bernstein's U.S. Equities, and he said to me one day, gee, I'd like to – at some point go out on my own. And I said, well, if you ever do, I'd love to back you. I mean, it was one of the easiest decisions ever made and he's really one of the highest quality, smartest, nicest people I know. So, I mean, it really was just kind of easy. Not, you don't get that opportunity too much in life. Just, uh, that was like an easy one. They don't throw you pitches like that ever. And, that's awesome. uh, you know, it's been that's, fun ride and, you know, I love rich to death.
1: That's a good win-win. That's a good win-win story. So, uh, couple of like last, last closing, uh, questions. You, you, you've published many books. Uh, You know, I, I I believe you're a pretty avid reader. Are, Are there any books that you've read recently or that you're reading, or you would suggest to, uh, to, uh, to someone at different stages of their career or their life that they should pick up and read, whether it's about investing or life or psychology or behavior or Kabbalah, you know, like what, what, uh, what do you found most uh, striking to you these days?
0: That's a good question. I mean, besides the usual investment books, uh, I I am, you know, of course, you're asking me the question or I'm blanking on some of the names. Uh, there was a... One of the funniest books I, re- I remember reading, I was just thinking about it the other day, was uh, a book um, written about... Uh, Let's see. Oh, it, I think it was called The Only A Rule Is It Has to Work. And it was about these guys. It was like a Moneyball type book that uh, was really kind of funny because these guys had no money. And uh, they took over a minor league team that was like nine levels below MLB. And... They tried to, you know, coax people who had been good in high school to go play on their team, things of like that, you know, using all the analytics that you usually would. And it, it actually uh, was really more of a discussion of how people are in statistics. And, you know, it's sort of the collision of human beings and analytics uh, messing up, you know, the best laid plans. And it was a little bit hilarious uh, about how it all went. You know, or how it all went. I know when I read the book, but uh, I don't think anyone else read it. Uh, so I thought that was uh, a really fun book. Um, I'm try- I'm trying to uh, think of what else I uh, let Let's see what I could recommend to people. I-, I would say any biography of uh, Benjamin Franklin. Uh, I've probably read at least three or four, and. Mm-hmm. I think the most motivating, interesting, and just seeing what how interesting one lifetime could be, but also just the way he, he thought. And I and I think uh any good rated uh biography of Ben Franklin would be my probably almost my number one rep Oh I love it. So um I love that. I love and that. so, you know, I, I like reading usually non fiction and there's always uh something out that I'm enjoying. You know?
1: Well, I, I'm, I'm super, super grateful that, uh, that you spent the time with me today. How, how would people find you if they want to, um, read about you, learn, learn, you know, um, go to gothamfunds.com. What's the best, uh, best would, place to uh, get information?
0: You know, I really learned not from business school because they, um, taught me don't, go into the professional money management business, pretty much, you know, markets were efficient. Uh, but I learned from reading. And so I wrote books and so go to Amazon and, you know, I'm proud of almost everything I wrote. You decide what I shouldn't be proud of, <laughs> it's uh, but I had fun writing them and, and it was my way of uh, having fun and giving back. And so that that's really the best way to uh, learn about the evolution of, of, how I've thought about investing for good or bad, and and you know I'm proud of most of them, and you know I think you can learn something from each each thing that I wrote. So, you know, and, and it was my attempt to to give back something.
1: Well, you've done a great job. I I know I've I've benefited immensely, and I know that anyone that is lucky enough to pick up any of your books is gonna is gonna glean something that will contribute to their uh, to their to their wealth, uh, their wisdom, wealth and wellness over time. Uh I'll leave you with one last thing is if you had an alter ego a career path uh, a road unsurprising uh something untaken what, what would what would you be doing aside from investing
0: Oh I probably would have tried I don't know if I could have been successful as a research scientist uh you know uh stock markets more in the social realm and you know you're not always it's not linear and you don't necessarily get paid off what you're <laughs> deserve, but the natural world kind of it has like great secrets that if you uncover them, you, those are truths. And I think it's also a way to get back and do something fascinating. And, you know, I've met enough research scientists that I respect that it's very hard to do that, but also that's what I would have done. Would hey, have grandma Moses
1: that. started painting at 80, you know, you, you never know, you still got a long journey ahead. Yeah. Uh, well, you know,
0: good luck with that.
1: Maybe I'll well, pay. okay. thank you again, Joel. I uh, appreciate the time and, uh, Look forward to seeing you down the road. Thank you. All right. Thanks, John.